thank you for being here and uh, uh, yeah, glad to be able to serve a little bit uh, on this topic. Um, I so it's entitled diversity. It's on diversity on multiculturalism. The topic title is actually unity in a multicultural church. And uh, so I'm going to seek to address it as best I can. There's so many facets to it. Uh, I know there's a little bit of music in the background. I will try to speak up as best I can and speak into the microphone as best I can and um, hope pray it all goes well. Well, um, maybe this is where I'm going to start. Say, uh, God loves diversity. Let me start by saying that. God loves diversity. In the first chapter of the Bible, you see diversity there. And the Bible says, Genesis chapter 1, he made them male and female. Male and female created he them. Is that John and Helen Hills? Oh, these are people I love. Sorry about that. Let me carry on. Um, and so in chapter 1 of uh, the book of Genesis, from the very beginning, you see diversity there. God created them male and female. Male and female created he them. Um, but not just do you see diversity, you also see uh, uh, a unity. When it comes to diversity, you see the different. It says uh, he made all the uh, the animals and the different types of animals that God that God made, and he just spells it out a little bit for you and I: the bird of the air, the fish of the sea, the uh, the beast that roams the earth. God God made all of these things. And if you were to ask God, why did He make so many? Okay, studying the other day, and I read uh, in if you were to study taxonomy that talks about the different kinds of species. There are over four hundred thousand species of just um, uh, of just uh, I think it's just of fishes. Four hundred thousand species, and on and on and on and on, and they keep discovering so many of them. God made so many, many, many different kinds of animals. When when I first came to live in the United Kingdom. I uh, I'm a Nigerian, grew up in Nigeria, and uh, in growing up, uh, I, I knew what dogs were like. But then when I got into this country, one of the first things that just completely baffled me was seeing these teeny-weeny little dogs. They really looked more like, it looked like a very big grown rat, really. You know, but uh, but alas, it was a dog, and you uh, just surprising to me because where I grew up, we just never saw dogs like that. Where I grew up, dogs were they were self-respecting and big and angry for the most part. Okay, and so begin to see something of the diversity. He didn't just make one type; makes numerous types of them. God loves diversity. He loves diversity. Not just does he love diversity; he loves unity, because then he. There's a way in which everything comes together, male and female. There's a way that he made it so that everything comes together and functions in unity. So God loves diversity and God loves, God loves unity. Um, uh, when it comes to talking about diversity in the life of a church and the unity, that, that how all of that can function together in unity, one really is best to go back to the foundation and build the whole thing back up so that when it's built rightly, the unity is a natural uh, off, off, offspring of that. But if we build it wrongly and then try to attach unity at the end, it just won't work. And people get badly hurt. Uh, say a little bit about Jubilee Church. Jubilee Church, like we said, is um, uh, uh, in the early days when it was planted, it was planted, it's, it's, it's a 20-year-old it's church, uh, something like that. And... Um, when it was planted in the early days, it was like 98% uh, pretty much uh, Caucasians, white. And uh, Kemi and I, my wife and I, we were there. So that brought the figures down a little bit. Uh, there was another couple who were Asian, Chris and Jane, and that helped it a little bit. But it, wa it, it, it was just us and so on. And I got to say, it was, it was just, just beautiful, just wonderful. We loved one another. We were just a small group of people. And uh, God was with us, and uh, really no weird tensions or anything like that. And then, of course, the church has grown to more like 2,000, a little over 2,000 people now. And, uh, the f the, and so the percentages have just changed so much. And uh, probably more like 70%. 
would be black. Of that 70%, many of them would be African. Many of them would be West Indians. Many of them from all over the place. And then even when it comes to the Caucasians, you're talking about the whole of Europe. And there are reasons for this, mainly because, number one, live in London. Uh, the whole world lives in London, in case you don't know. They're all there. Everybody, they're all there. There's no nationality. There are parts of London that you've got to say it feels like the Caucasian English indigen looks, feels like the minority in that area. So uh, living, therefore, with, in a place where the whole world has come to be. And that, therefore, gets represented in our churches. And that is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. And, uh, and so that's the way that the whole thing works. So uh, uh, there are other reasons for that, the way that it's grown for us as a church. The average uh, black person that comes, when they come, they don't, <laughs> they rarely come as one person. Uh, they'll come, and then they'll be like, my goodness, I love this, God is here. They're going to go bring their whole family. Whether they want to come or not, they're coming. They drive them. And then they'll go tell all their friends and bring them. And then they'll go. So it keeps just increasing and increasing, and, that, and that's just the way it is. And then, of course, you add to that that many of them, those are coming black people from sometimes black majority churches, and some of the things that they've seen and felt and experienced that has not helped them uh, moves them away from those churches. And they're wanting churches that represent the kind of places where they work, the kind of schools where their kids go, where there's diversity and so on. And so they realize, no, we need this for our children because their children go to school and meet people from all over the world, different nations, they go to the black majority churches and it's like being in a time warp in a completely different environment. And so those kinds of people are wanting that. Also, if people are, if there's diversity in their marriage, a black guy marries a white girl or vice versa, for the most part, they're looking for a church where diversity is represented. So some of all these things feed into it. And so it creates the kind of dynamics that we see and the numbers that we have and so on. And nonetheless, yet by the grace of God, I would say, and I believe all people at Jubilee uh, in London would say, uh, I'm from Jubilee Church London, they would say, I believe that this is, uh, by the grace of God, it's a peaceful church. We have a lot of peace. When you see all these nations, uh, up to s about 70, 73 nations in it, you all these nations, you think surely there must be quarrels on fire. Actually, by the grace of God, we have a lot of peace. And uh, a lot of work goes into that happening. And so going therefore into the foundations, these are the things that I would say. First of all, if one is going to build in the way that it's going to be um, um, uh, in unity. Now, before I continue, let me just ask. Can you all hear me or can you not? Oh, you can. Oh, my goodness me. Are you just saying that? Okay. <laughs> Okay, so um, uh, I'm going to give you five qu quick points, I think, that will help in this regard. I'll speak a little. Some of them I'll just brush through. Others I might expand on. And if we've got a little bit more time at the end, and then there'll be an opportunity for some Q&A, we'll see, we'll see how we go. Okay, so how does one go about building in a way that there is diversity and yet there is unity and it's coherent and it's a place of peace, not a place where people walk around like on eggshells, don't want to offend one another, and true unity of the spirit doesn't exist. That's what we don't want. What we don't want is a fake version of the reality. What we want is the reality. And the Holy Spirit of God is able to make that happen. Can you say amen to that? Therefore, number one, and uh, now this has been set up from a leader's perspective, but I'm sure it will be helpful for all of us. Number one, we need to be persuaded biblically. Need to be persuaded biblically. Our, our, our belief for wanting to pursue this diversity in multiculturalism, it has to come from the scriptures. It cannot come because, oh, it just doesn't look right. It cannot come because, you know, I just feel a bit awkward, you know, we're all white and we're not two black people. When people come, it just looks wrong. And we're, that's as, as, as enduring as that may be. It's not a good enough reason. I'll tell you why one has to go biblically. If you don't go biblically and see it in the scriptures and it goes inside of you and is truly digested there, when you begin the journey and challenges come and challenges will come, how you respond to that is going to be critical. Because if you don't respond to it well, you will hurt a lot of people. 
and, and, and it's so sad when that happens because the one guy wanted to do well in diversity and bring it all together. When you get it wrong, you can be the one person that hurts all kinds of people. And for those people to get healed and then to try it again may take, it could take a decade. Because they go away with just a, just a very bad feeling. And sometimes those who have come to you in seeking diversity and then they get hurt, end up saying, my goodness me, maybe I was naive. Maybe this whole negative side of unity with the, with the different races is just a lie and it never happened. Maybe I've been naive. And they go back. So it's critical that we have, that we're persuaded biblically is the first point. And when I say that, I'm saying that from the scriptures, you need to be able to see it. If I was to walk you through just a few verses, I would say from right from the book of Genesis, I quoted to you, 127, he made them male and female. Uh, male and female created he them. Uh, that is, God created all of us is the, is the message there. We all come from God. In uh, chapter 3 of verse 20, uh, and verse 20, chapter 3, Genesis 3:20, where he talks about Adam and Adam's wife. He said, and he named her, her name was Eve, for she was mother of all that is living. Again, you're seeing there the hints, the undertones or overtones of we all come from one place. She, mother of all that is living. So we're all coming from the same place, irrespective of your color or whatever. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. It says, Are we not, do we not all have the same Father? Has not the same God created us all? So again, the point, point being made, we all come from the same place. Acts chapter 17, flip to the New Testament, where Paul is talking, you know the chapter 17 real well, where he's walking around and he sees people worshiping uh, um, to an unknown God, begins to give that just excellent uh, sermon, this God that you say is unknown. Actually, he is known. And he is not served by human hands. Neither does he dwell in temples built by human hands. Uh, as though he needed anything. For he himself made everything. Actually. And he made all. And from one man. He made all nations. Think about that. From one man. He made all nations of the earth. And gave them periods. And boundaries. And dwelling places. That if they should seek after him. And find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For it is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. Just as your poets have written that uh, 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 you know, we all come from him. The point there is it from one man, the nations. And he made it that way. So you see this idea right through the scriptures from all on into the new. The book of Ephesians chapter 2, you, I'm sure you know it all well. It says, you know, uh, about Christ, that he took those who were far and those who were near, and he brought them in himself, therefore removing the dividing wall of hostility, and therefore creating one new man. In fact, a whole new race. You might say Christians are a whole new race. They are a royal priesthood, peculiar people. They are, we, are, we are a different people. We may not look like it, but we are. A different people. Why? Because we've gone in Christ, and in him, Remove hostility, one new man. So the gospel does that. And frankly, the gospel is the only agent that can truly bring uh, um, unity in the way that we're describing. And then uh, Revelation chapter 5, you would know well, come to the end of the Bible now. It says, you know, uh, worthy is the lamb that was slain and you have, your blood was shed and you, and you re, what's the word? Uh, redeemed, is it redeemed? You redeemed men, uh, ransom, that's the word. You ransomed uh, men from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 also talks about the different nations all around the throne room and uh, from every tribe, different tongue and nation. The, the point I'm trying to make out there is going from the, through the scriptures, and those, I'm just hopping, skipping right through verses, but going through the scriptures, it is there. You need to be thoroughly persuaded biblically that this is what God wants. There are a few books out there these days being written and articles being written that actually this whole kind of bringing people together, you know, is it really in the Bible? Every, people will question everything. And sometimes we may not realize that there are minds that are undermining towards this. But I'm telling you, if it's, from the, if it's there in the beginning of the Bible, 
and is there at the end of the Bible, it's going to be there when we get to heaven. And the call of the church is to be the outpost of heaven and therefore to mimic, reflect what is going to be. And the world should come to the church and see how blacks and whites and all kinds of colors can live together, dwell together in unity because we've been joined together to Christ. Can you say amen to that? I, I said to myself, I'm not going to preach this. I will just gently go through. <laughs> and I got carried away. <laughs> I'm going to come back down now. Point number two. <laughs> now, if you're, if you're persuaded biblically, then you have to teach it faithfully. You have to, you have to teach it you know, faithfully uh, uh, to the scriptures and refusing to let any other message trip it up. To teach it, to preach it faithfully. And that goes really to leaders and to, you know, you're leading kids or whatever in small, just be sure that you're faithful to it. You never let it slip off. Uh, Ravi Zacharias tells a story where he grew up. He grew up in, I think it's India now. He grew where he grew up in, when he was real young, they brought uh, a cinema, came to, to their town. And uh, they set up cinema and so on. And it became quite a big deal. We're going back decades now. Quite a big deal. And people going to watch this uh, a film, you know. And he talks about the gardener that they had in their home then. I had heard about it, real old guy, and he comes to watch the film. And people are in there watching it. Got, now, when he came in, if you can imagine, the screen is here. The projector's over there. The screen is here. And uh, people are seeing. Somehow, he came in through the wrong door. He came in through a door on this side. So that he's completely adjacent to the screen. And when he just flipped it open a little bit and looked in and he saw people and uh, because he'd wonder what this film this thing they're talking about what it looks like when he came he saw people staring but then he looked up and he saw the beam light from the projector and not just that he saw particles dancing in front of it and just looking at it he was just mesmerized and just amazed by it. he thought that was the film he thought that was the film until he was tapped on the shoulder and said, no, 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 this is it. And then he turns around and he says, oh, then he really sees the real thing. Uh, uh, you know, for every preacher, you need to, we all do as preachers, we need to so make much of Jesus that people are not just seeing little bits of him and, and just leave it there. When people see him for who he is, not just little bits, but week after week, you massage into the psyche of the people and of that church who Jesus is, his power, his goodness, his beauty, his love, his mercy. Week after week, everything, no matter where the sermon starts from, it's got to be heading that way. Because when people get that, they will so look up, their gaze will be so transfixed on him that I'm telling you, everything else becomes secondary. So the lines that divide just melt away when they see him. But when they don't have something to gaze upon, oh, they'll learn to gaze upon one another, that's when they start seeing the differences in one another and start complaining, start whinging, and all kinds of problems happen. We need to preach Jesus compellingly. We have the best message in the world. To preach it and it's boring is virtually a sin. Well, well, virtually. And so the point is, why? Because he, Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, is it for he, Jesus, is able to reconcile all things to himself in heaven and on earth. In my mind, as I pastor the church, I'm, people, people think I'm preaching on diversity every week. No, I'm not. They think I'm preaching on it every month. No, I'm not. They think I'm preaching every year. No, I'm not. I'm really not. Preach up maybe once in two, three years, maybe if it's in the series that we're, I'm really not preaching on diversity the whole time. But I am preaching Jesus because I know that he is able to reconcile all things, all people to himself. Can you say amen to that? That's a big, big deal. Yeah, everything comes back to him. The idea is this. So when people come, this is what I have in my mind as I lead the church. People come, when they see him, their hands go out in worship. And when it comes down, they hold each other's hands. The colors become, they take the place it should take. 
a second place compared to him, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. You need to be persuaded biblically. You need to teach it faithfully. Number three, we need to pursue it intentionally. You need to pursue it intentionally. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, says to the Jew, I became a Jew that I might win the Jew. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. Which, that's a big thing for someone like Paul to say. When you read the book of Galatians and realize his view of the law and how <laughs> just his view, how he just you know, kept tearing the law apart for Christ to replace it. And he hated legalism to the nth degree. He just hated legalism wherever he saw it. Couldn't stand it. Say, oh, you foolish Galatians, how come you've gone back to the legalism? And so here he is now saying, to the Jew, I became a Jew that I might win the Jew. That's his purpose. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I'm not really one under the law. I'm kind of like under the law. I'm under the law of Christ. He actually puts that parenthesis there. Uh, I'm not under the law. Nonetheless, to the here under the law, I became as one as if under the law. To the one that is weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that by all means, by all means, I might save some. What I see there is intentionality. He is so intentional about this that if we're going to build, by the grace of God, churches that are diverse and multiculturalism that multiculturalism that is wholesome. Not, you know, if there are different nations there, but they're always fighting one another, this is not a good picture of the gospel. But when it's coherent, when it's one, it's a beautiful thing. It's the kind of thing the world, people from outside come in and they, they haven't seen anything like it. I'll tell you right now, in Jubilee Church, the diversity is one of the most powerful evangels. Because when they walk in, they just, it's like they have no categories for this. Because they've seen different nations and seen different, no categories for it. And it does something to their hearts. Therefore, we need to pursue it intentionally. What does that mean? I would say, number one, increase your exposure. I have just found that people who are just better traveled, being among other people groups, they've gone beyond the little area where they live. They are far better. They get it. In, they get it in, on the inside. It's just like that. To be honest, sometimes I've seen non-Christians get it better than Christians. And it ought not be that way. Many years ago, my son, who's a drummer, uh, yeah, drummer, he would, and um, he wanted to buy this drum kit, he, and he saw it online, eBay, and I, I said, fine, I'll go, I'll go pick it up for you. You know, yeah, he went and he bought it. Then I found out it was like far away someplace. I'm like, oh, my, I should have thought this through. You know, anyway, get in the car, drove down to, I can't remember where it is now, but uh, it's about two and a half hours away from London. And I, I, I get there, and I see the guy, and I felt really bad for him because the guy who was, I said, why are you selling this just beautiful drum kit? He said, well, he's a drummer. He said, but he's, he's got a disease, emphysema. He's kind of dying from it, and, uh, and uh, he just wanted to get rid of it, though he loved it. He, he bought all. I said, you must have played it a lot. He said, no. I, he said, actually, I can't play the drums. He just loved the drums so much, but he, he really can't play it. So he, he can do a little on it, but he has all these amazing things. And I, you know, I, I, I mean, the, the unsaved part of me was like, oh, I feel bad for you, but anyway, do you want to sell the other things I can see anyway? You know? I just felt bad for the guy. And I, he said to me, where have you come from? I said, London. You know, do you, you like, I was beginning to make conversation with him. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, he said, he said yeah, but he's, uh, he's, he's never been to London. What do you mean you've never been to London? He said, oh, no, he's never, he's never been to London. He said, uh, he, he, he's, he's 50, he told me he was 50, 51, 52 years old. He said, no, he's never, he's never been to London. I'm like, you've never been to, it's, it's just over there. I mean, it's, it's not far, it's just over. He said, no, he's never been. He said, he said I've seen it on television. I mean, just, it was unfathomable to me. And I, 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 I forgot about the drums and just was talking. I'd never seen anyone up to that point be so near where Jesus lives. I'm joking.
London. Being so, I, I just, to me, it was just so baffling. And he, and he said he, do, he doesn't want to go. He said he's seen it. He's seen people on the trains. He's seen how full. He doesn't want to go. I just didn't think anything like that could happen. Exposure matters. You go to parts of the world, you just travel a little bit. Or if you can't travel, just go to London. And they're all, in, they're all there anyway. And, and mix. And see, because it does something for you when you go to be amongst a different people group. It just does. Uh, you, you, you'll soon find out sometimes your unspoken uh, prejudices. You probably won't know until you're put in that setting. You'll be amazed how sometimes you will feel you should be treated different because you think that you are different. You never thought about it until you were there. You're going to find out how quick you are to complain about other people and not realize, actually, it's not just the order that you're complaining about. It's just it's them. You'll be surprised some things that are lodged in. Not necessarily your fault. Probably ironed in from when you were growing up. You never knew it. When you go to those settings, then you'll realize. You sometimes will shock yourself. Why am I even thinking this way? And if you're privileged to stay there for a length of time, you'll begin to find out, my goodness me, I thought they were ignorant. They're brighter than I am. I thought they don't know anything. They know more than I do. When I go to preach sometimes in Africa, I'll see some individual come preach, thinks he knows more than the people. The people sit down quietly and nod their heads. They will clap for him as he goes. <laughs> I remember one particular case. Terrible arrogance on account of the preacher. Later on, I helped him understand. See those people? They can quote this book more than you, and they understand it. And they have contextualized it. They may not use your big words, but they know it more than you. And they know him, Jesus, more than you. I'll prove it to you by showing you how they live and they still trust in him. When you have a cold, you give up on your faith. They walk with him the whole way. They know him. You know about him. He hasn't spoken to me since. It does something when you have that exposure. It reconfigures your heart somewhat. And it removes the fear of other people that sometimes is there. It's a fear of the other that is there. It just, it just removes all of that thing. And then when you go to another place to say, we're going to plant a church, multicultural, you'll be amazed. People can sense if you're genuine. Because you give off a vibe that is just inclusive, that is just, it's just loving. And you're not even trying because it truly has happened to you. And that, for the most part, I'll tell you right now, is often what is missing. It's often what is missing. Exposure matters when we're talking about intentionality. I would say intentionality means that one studies one's area. What are, what are the population? What are the demographics? What does it look like? One of the easiest ways to just cut, in, cut through and just go to your local Tesco's and just stand behind and see what's going on. Is the church like this Tesco? And is this Tesco like the church demographically? Because those people, they do a whole lot of research before they, plant, before they build their, their shops. So you don't even have to do all this. They've done it all for you. When they built it, you just turn up. <laughs> just assess the whole thing. And I'm telling you, I've done it so many times. It's, it really is pretty much accurate. They don't, they're not going to build it where it's not going to work. They've thought it through. And then you go into the Indian section. You go into, well, this is probably more London. They, they will now provide foods to fit the area. Why? Somebody somewhere in that is, is, is checking the demographics the whole time and working according to it. In, in the church, we need to do exactly the same thing, uh, leader. We need to think if that's intentionality. I think intentionality means making friends. It means stepping out of one's comfort zone to the other side. Instead of staying here and telling them to come, come, come. No, I have to go be amongst. And listen, I can't move from here. <laughs> but um, it's not about standing here and telling them to come. It's about going there with a pure agenda. What I mean by a pure agenda is this. The agenda is not to get them into the church. The agenda is not to get them to come fix our figures as regards diversity and make it look better. The, I, the purity of the agenda is, 
I, I want them to know this Jesus, the maker. Can you see what I'm trying to say? So whether they come or not, that purity of agenda matters because they'll sense it a mile off. That, so you go to make friends with people who are deliberately so different from you. And for the most part, you're not saying, let me teach you. You're saying, no, you speak. You teach me. So how does that work? Just ask the question. Just let it. It will take time. But on the day they say to you, you're my friend, <laughs> something has changed. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I now call you friends. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. One of the people that I would call a spiritual father were walking one day, and he says to me, I just love being with you. He said, you're, you're my friend. I cannot tell you how much difference that made to me, just hearing that. There's somebody out there that you need to go and befriend that is so different from you that one day they're going to say, you're my friend. On that day, the door opens for you to share the gospel with them, and they're going to listen differently. But it takes a degree of intentionality. You see, the mom who decides to, every Christian is called to be on mission. You can join the moms and toddlers group that everybody is like you. Or you can join the one that you're the only one like you and everybody else is different. It just depends how much you're on mission. When we have that kind of thinking, everything changes. I think it will show intentionality in our budgets as church leaders because you will find you know, we so believe in this, we're going to put finances behind it. We're going to help it and let it go. And mission is never cost effective in the way that we, you know, you don't check effectiveness of it by the Excel file and the bottom line. You check it by lives changed. And so we put budgets behind it. You go ready to be changed yourself. Not ready to just change somebody, but ready to be changed yourself. And once that has happened, you'll be amazed how you can then walk together with them. We need to be persuaded biblically. We need to teach it faithfully. We need to pursue it intentionally. And then we need to build wisely. Now, before I continue, let me just check. Is all this okay? <laughs> okay. You're so well behaved and so quiet. Because <laughs> I could otherwise just stop and just take questions. All right. Okay. You need to build wisely. With everything that I've said, none of that takes away from building with wisdom. Because it is by wisdom that a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. And so, none of this is an invitation to throw away wisdom. Biblical wisdom matters to this. And I think it matters when it comes to leadership. Building, uh, you know, in a multicultural setting. I basically believe that there is a leader in any room I walk into. I, I, I refuse to believe that there isn't one. So I, I, I start off myself on that deficit. There is a leader there. And therefore, because there is a leader there, I will find the leader. In Jubilee Church, we have all kinds of different nationalities and so on. Uh, uh, I'll tell you one people group, the Filipinos. The Filipinos, they'll... they'll, they'll they, they, they just cluster together. <laughs> you know, they cluster together all the time. The Filipinos are together. At the end of the service, you can often see them together. And they talk to the Filipinos who were invited. In fact, while I was here, one of them invited me. Hey, pastor, we have such and such. You need to come. You know, they're going to feed me till I'm this big, the Filipino. Uh, and that's just, you know. Now, when you go amongst them, the Filipinos, they love to serve. Oh, my goodness gracious me. Tell them we need a place to be swept. They're going to be there. Go to your hospitals and you go see how many of them are serving. They have such a servant heart. Now, you could look at the Filipino group and say, mm, they really serve, but there's no leader among them. That's the wrong way to feel it. There is a leader. You just have to find the leader. I want to find the leader like I have. I, so, to find how do I do that, I go to their small group. I sit with them. I, I mean, they break all the rules. They break all the rules. I just let them break it. And listen carefully, because they break the rules, but they arrive at the point. Okay, we have, I, have, I mean, I have written huge documents on how to let a small group go well. They break all the rules, and their small group is better. 
So I mean, what do I know? So I just keep down there, you know. I'm like, first few moments when you come, you know, you have a welcome. Oh, that welcome is food. And I'm like, when are we going to do the Bible bit? They have food, dessert, they sit down, they chat, you know, all of this stuff. I'm looking at the time. When are we going to? And then towards the end, they'll say something about last Sunday. How God spoke to them. And it reminds them of something that happened in their past. And such as, oh, oh, so everybody comes together, prays for them. And, 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 and what I want in every small group has happened suddenly. There's a leader there. But I had to go into that small group week after week, identify the leader, then draw him close, give him my number. You can call me. You can whatever. And then I have to help that leader grow and pump all kinds. There's a leader in everyone. And there's a leader in every group. So when we're thinking about leadership, we just have to learn to look for the right cues. Because the leader from the Filipino group is going to look somewhat different from the leader in the Nigerian group. The Nigerian group, you're going to see the leader guy up front. In fact, you might want to run for your life a little bit and then figure it out. But they look different. Learning to read the cues. Filipino, the Nigerian one, the English one, they look different, but there's leadership in there. Learn to look for those cues that matter, and that's the whole deal. Secondly, uh, talking about building wisely, the point I was trying to make there is, therefore, it must be, it must, diversity must be represented in the leadership. If it's, it's probably the best, biggest win you can do. If it's in the leadership, my goodness me, you'd be amazed what that will do. If it's not, it undermines it. I mean, I, I, I've been walking with the Lord a long time now, and I've been leading a long time now. I don't get to call myself immature anymore. Okay, I'm not saying I know it all, but I don't get to call myself immature anymore. I went into a church a few years ago, and a uh, small church, I was preaching there, and uh, everybody there is Caucasian. I'm the only black guy. And uh, the band is up there, they finish singing, church, 50, pe 50 people or so. And at the end of it, they're going to do the notices, the girl that comes up to do the notice is a black girl. I'm like, I didn't know there was somebody else black here. The black girl gets up, she does the notice sheepishly, you know, it doesn't, 50% good job, put it that way. She goes back. I was amazed at my age and with the things that I've seen and known in my life, how much acceptance that made me feel. And I, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't need that to make me feel okay. And yet... Somebody put someone who looked like me in so many ways up there, and it helped me. The point I'm trying to make is this. If it's represented in the leadership, it will go. If it is not, it could, it, then it's just there. Or even, it could <laughs> inadvertently send out a message that you're not wanting to send out. Especially, like in London, if the church begins to grow with so many black people, and the leadership is not, and it's not represented in the leadership. Everybody hear what I'm trying to say there? Secondly, worship. I think in the worship, it needs to be in there. Um, uh, now, I will say this. In case you might think if you come to Jubilee, you know, we're going to sing one song in, I don't know, uh, in Bemba, in the Zimbabwean language, and then one song in Tagalog, Filipino, and then one song. No, we don't. No, we don't. For the most part, we're singing songs in English. Really. But uh, there are days that we will change it a little bit. For, for we'll, we'll put one or two things in there for fun. Those times are there, you know. We will sing a song in Zimbabwe once in a while. But if you think every week we're doing it, no, we're not. Why? G everyone look up to Jesus. It, it, listen, look, the gospel gives you, the gospel calls you to die. <laughs> it's, it's come and die before it's come and live. With the gospel, everyone gets to get over themselves and get into Christ. Your identity is not stuck to your color. When you're in Christ, that's the one that is first. Can you say amen to that? So when we come, we'll sing different languages from time to time. But in the main, oh, we're singing songs written by Hillsong, written by us, written by Elevation, written by whatever, wherever. We're singing all those songs. However, the band, from time to time, they'll change the beat a little bit. See, you can sing, amazing grace, how sweet the... You can do it all very classic, uh, sing it classically and have it accompanied with classical music and so on. 
Or you can put a beat to it that goes, Amazing grace, how sweet the... Now, that's just a drum beat with the bass drum, like the pedal, all of that. The point I'm trying to make is this. You just switch the beat a little bit, and the African guy goes, oh, I can do this. Oh, I'm home, I can do this. Why don't we sing it every week in different languages? Look, I'm honestly, in the end, not trying to appease people, believe it or not. I'm trying to please Christ. That's what I'm trying to do. Second thing is this. You live in London, I tell our people. So wherever you come from, if it kills you, you're going to learn the English language. Because you become an ineffective evangel if you cannot speak the language. So you're going to learn the language. So when people come, we'll give translation for a bit. After a while, we'll be like, grow up. Speak the language. Communicate. Not just that. When you cannot speak the language, you become a good target for, a, for people who are unkind where you live. No, you need to be able to speak and commune and communicate and all of that. And so we, we do that. We will shift the music a little bit. You get the point. Next thing. Uh, in preaching. I would just say in preaching, illustrations help. And illustrations really do take when you've gone beyond where you live alone. And you've traveled a little bit and seen a little bit. Or mixed with people from different parts of the world. And let their experiences rub off on yours. And when you bring it to bear, it just helps. Next one, publicity. I think... Publicity, as a general rule of thumb, I want our publicity to represent who we are. So we're not lying, what we put up there, who we are. But also who we want to be, who we see ourselves becoming. And that takes a little bit of thought to put that thing together. You're not just giving it to the graphics guy to knock something up. You know, it takes far more than that. And so we put it together that way. Um, uh, and then we want to represent our community also. Is that our community? So when people see what the publicity looks like, they feel, oh, I can, I can see myself in there, and I can see this area there. And so it, it needs to be thought through. Our services from the welcome to preaching, all of that, I'm just one, is diversity represented in any way that we can? Sometimes, let me say this lest I forget, sometimes you live in a context where you just can't do all that. Because your context is such that there's hardly any diversity there. Then what does one do as a leader? Listen, you still set the people's heart up that they are forever open to it. Because it's what is going to happen when we get to heaven. But please, 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 don't be beating up yourself saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, we're 98% black, there's only two white people, we're doomed. The gospel is bigger than that. Amen. The diversity and multiculturalism is not the beginning or the pinnacle of the gospel, but it's a critical part of it. Okay, when it comes to food, whenever the church is going to eat together, we will make sure that there are different foods are involved. And so people will, you know, the Filipinos will cook, all kinds of people will cook, and we'll do all this kind of, and mix it all up together, and it's, and it's fun. And I try to educate our people, you know, when you go, don't go to the Nigerian food and say, oh, this is slimy. See, that's not very helpful now. Okay? Uh, you know, I, I would try most things at least once. I, I will. I would try most things at least once. Uh, for the most part, I'll be like, just don't tell me what it is. I'll just cut my losses and have a taste. But, but I'll, I'll try most things once. And, um, uh, but you will be amazed how much food can bring, can bring unity. You w really. Uh, if you want to try it out, shut down your small group from Bible study one time and let people... Let them do come dine with me and go to each other's houses and cook in different nationalities. You will be amazed how if when you eat the food that I cook from my place, you, just, you tried it. If you know that you ate, you just tried it. How accepted of me that makes me feel. Anyway, uh, Acts chapter, what is it, 6. There's a whole deal there that could help the converse of what I just said. Um, language And then dress code. Well... I will tell you that uh, different nationalities and different people group, just their culture uh, uh, you know, it really informs how they live. And the Bible doesn't go around smashing cultures, actually. Uh, the, the gospel is broad enough that many things in different cultures, they will find out, oh, the Bible says that? We do that in our culture. Now you still have to not do it because it's my culture, but take it through the framework of the scriptures and come out the other end. But... Cultures come into it. Now, 
for us, for example, when the church was real small, uh, when we have a church party, I don't know, 50 of us, 60, 70, 80, uh, we would have alcohol there, we would have this and that, not a problem, because we know our Jesus and Paul and 1 Corinthians 10, all of that. As the church began to grow with diversity, we have a huge contingent of people who just struggle with the alcohol. Well, I had to think really hard about this, because I have a whole sermon on grace and alcohol. <laughs> anyway, never mind. So, in the end, cut to the chase here, we, um, we decided we would not serve alcohol at any of our church-wide church meetings. Uh, if you're having your own party, that's fine. You're having your own church, that's fine. But when it's a meeting on account of the church, a small group or whatever, that we will not serve alcohol. Why? Well, because my brother struggles with it. Now, I still teach the church there is nothing wrong with drinking of alcohol. I do. But if my brother struggles with it, he didn't die on a blood-stained cross so that I can drink alcohol. He died on a blood-stained cross so I can know how to love that person in the way they need me to love them at this point. And so that's an, that's, that was a big deal for us because we have all kinds of people thinking, whoa, are we getting all legalistic now? No, no, we're just getting more Christian. That's what we're doing. We're just getting more Christian. Okay. Um, uh, dress code. Uh, in different cultures, uh, in, the, in the Nigerian culture, you know, in, you go to an average African black majority church, uh, the pastor will be in a suit. He will have a tie. The sun is like 40 degrees out there, but no one's going to take that tie from him. He's going to wear his tie. Gonna, you know, and, uh, or he's going to church on a Sunday. He's going to dress up. The average black guy is going to dress up. I'm probably, I'm, over, I'm generalizing massively, okay? Because now, not just is it multicultural, it's also generations. And there's a different generation that sees things very differently. So, but there's one generation that they're going to go to church and dress up so well and so on. And then you've got the English guy. He's going to come in his football t-shirt. Sandals and everything. Let me tell you, you see the African guy that comes in his suit? He leaves home thinking, wait, wait. If somebody said to me, come meet the Queen of England, I put my best on. Now I'm going to church to honor God, to worship him. I'm going to give him the best I can from my clothing to everything. So I applaud him for what he does. The English guy that comes in his t-shirt and his whatever, when he's doing it right, he's doing it because <laughs> he chose me just the way I am. And the way he wants me is just the way I am. And it's never just about my clothing, it's about my heart. So I come. And I put those two things side by side so that you can see how the maturity that is needed and the all-inclusiveness, the issue is just let the gospel inform everything. How do I dress on a Sunday? I, I wear my jeans because no one's going to take it from me forever. I like jeans. I wear my jeans. I'll have my shoes on. I'll wear smart. If you like, the basic dress code is smart casual. Why? Ah, the casual bit uh, with my jeans helps my Caucasian brother. The, uh, you know, the smart bit with my shirt or jacket helps the other half. The whole thing works. I, I, you, you have no in idea how intentional I am. I will do anything I need to do short of sinning to keep holding up the diversity, the multicultural aspect of the gospel. Okay. Um, we must be persuaded biblically, we must teach it faithfully, we must be persuaded, we must pursue it intentionally, build wisely, and we must live passionately. Well, there's a whole bunch I could say about living passionately. Let me just say this. Uh, if you really believe in it and you love it, then you celebrate it. Uh, once a year, we have a, um, what we call the International Day, and uh, Jubilee Church meets over three uh, locations. We bring all the locations together. We're going to a stadium. And all 2,000, 3,000, because they will invite all their friends coming to this thing. I wish we had a, we don't have a projector. I will have shown you how the whole thing runs. And uh, we will call each nation. Uh, everyone wears their clothes from their own nation. 
Okay, and uh, and, and by the way, in Jubilee, for the most part, people have to speak in English because although they say, you know, you have all these contingents that are black, they all come from different countries, and this one is from Jamaica, one is from, it's all different. So English is the lingua franca that we use. So now, uh, on that day, I'll preach for like 10 minutes, and then we're going to call up the different nations. People are going to have their different clothes. Everybody needs to make an effort. On the first year we did this, we had, now you need to know, I have a, Big heart for England, for the United Kingdom. Uh, you know, disproportionately big. This is where God has put me and placed me and called me and all of that. So this nation has a big place in my heart, even more than my own. Anyway, never mind. Let me not finish that sentence. Or some Nigerian is going to come to me and say, you're a traitor. Whatever. You know, but that is just the way that it is for me. Sometimes I feel I'm more patriotic than the average indigent. I really do. You know, when we were doing this in the early years, you know, and called the different nations. The church was much smaller then. And we would call all the nations one by one with their flags. When England came out, oh my goodness gracious me. You know, in fact, it started with the food. Let me go there. We were much smaller than the Filipinos make all these efforts. The Africans, they'll stay up all night cooking and all that. The English, I'm like, what, what food do you, what, what, uh, 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 quiche? No. <laughs> you know, that is not going to work. You know, crisps are not going to work. Quiche is not going to, you're going to find something. that. Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, help me. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to protect your dignity here. Help me. The whole, in the end, I'm like, okay, the English are going to bring the dessert. The dessert. Yeah. All of that. You know, I kind of made it up. Honest, I'm not joking. So they get to bring the desserts from home and I kind of cover them, you know. Because I'm always making a big deal of the English, you know. But sometimes they don't help. Uh, <laughs> you know. On the day we're going to call out the uh, different, uh, is this there? On the day we're going to call out the different nations, and uh, we call all the nations one by one. They're all dressed in the best, you know, it's just amazing. And then you have the English people, they turn up just like this t shirt. And following year, I call them, I had to have a meeting with them. All right, guys, I'm going to need you to do better. Okay? I know you can come to where you are, but. I need these people to appreciate, you know, go into the, your roots. You're better than this. So then I figured it out. Okay, I want everyone to go watch, you know, uh, what's that horse racing deal once a year? Ask us. Yeah, go watch those people. You see the way they dress? That's how I want all of you next year. Yeah, you're going to dress like you're going to a wedding. And then what I do you know, we call all the nations, and I keep England till the last. And then, because now they really, they dress up well, they're amazing. Yeah, with bowler hats and all of this. Uh, I get, and then before we call in England, the two nations I pray, I, I will stop the whole proceedings that is a two, three hour deal. I will pray for Israel, then we'll pray for um, England. Before we pray for England, the last nation, I will say something about this nation. I will tell everybody, you have not been put here to use this nation. You've not been put here to use it. You have to care for this nation and the welfare of this nation. I train and teach our people that, that we're not here to use it. We're here to be a blessing to it. And they got it now. They really have got it. They will applaud and love God. They will bring, I will put the English flag under their seats. They will all bring it out. And then I will say, welcome England. England will come in. And then we have da, 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 da. Land of hope and glory. I make the biggest deal of England. I do. And th that comes not just from diversity, but this is where God has placed me. And God has a plan for this nation. And one of the ways that we can keep pushing forth the gospel is this. Diversity is represented in all our cities these days. It needs to be represented in our church also. God bless you in Jesus' name.